episode 106, Macra and Other Ways to Make Money. Today, I speak with Eric Levin from McKesson Business Performance Services. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. MACRA stands for the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act of 2015. Now you know, as if that clarifies anything much. The bill has not been passed yet, but likely some version of it is definitely coming. The point of MACRA is mostly to help wrangle existing reimbursement quality metrics under one standard. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard providers complaining, rightfully, that if they want to attest for PQRS or VM, value-based modifiers or meaningful use, EHR incentives, that they have to take the data and crunch it multiple times in different ways. Painful at best. MIPS, by the way, is part of MACRA, and it stands for Merit-Based Incentive Payment Systems. Today, I speak with Eric Levin from McKesson Business Performance Services, and we follow the dollar through this tangled web we've woven. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Eric. Thank you. Great to be here. It has been a pretty clear theme amongst the guests on this podcast that if you want to change how healthcare does something, you change reimbursement. We've had guest after guest answer the question, and where do you see the most change? With some answer that consists of, well, you see the most change amongst stakeholders with the most change in their reimbursement. So you, my friend, know a lot about reimbursement, and I am looking forward to delving into it with you. Absolutely. Me too. People are scratching their heads, trying to figure out how they fit into all of these alternative payment models. What's up with that from your perspective? I think that the people that have been proactive about value-based care and have done things three to four years ago when there weren't necessarily a lot of incentives in place, but maybe some financial, we were still you know, 95% fee-for-service. Those providers, practices, hospitals are being rewarded now. They're able to actually take on some of those advanced payment models, take on risk, participate in programs like CPC Plus, where you can really change the dial in terms of the revenue that's coming in to a doctor's pocket. And not to mention what the bottom line should be, and that's improving the health of your patient population. So I think that as these programs keep coming out and and CMS always leads the charge, commercial payers typically follow. We're getting a lot of noise now about the 2017 proposed rules, and people are still trying to put in their opinion and, and change that around because it's not finalized yet. So as that gets finalized, I think those are some things that people really, really need to uh, have a good understanding of and, and know how that affects their care delivery, because that's going to in turn affect their reimbursement, which is going to be probably the biggest swing that has ever happened in terms of your percentage of Medicare revenue coming in. Why don't we spiral around to that? Let's talk yeah. about macro 
MIPS and you just mentioned CPC plus. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. the macro MIPS document is something like 960 <laughs> pages long. Yes. It's daunting. Absolutely. It is. And it's very complicated. There's a lot of sections. There are ways to simplify it and boil it down, which if you've been doing these programs, meaningful use, PQRS, the value-based modifier, you should be fine because it's really combining and streamlining that together. For primary care, if they've become a patient-centered medical home already, they're going to get points for doing so. And then if they're participating in things like chronic care management and managing transitions of care, it's going to give them more points and it's going to really make that transition smoother. But a lot of this, too, is coming down to technology and making sure that you have the right tools at your disposal that are going to be able to keep track of your uh, MIPS score as well as keep track of your outcomes for the patients and the diseases that you were reporting, and and you're going to have to report that information as well. I definitely want to go rewind a little bit and just make sure that we define, you know, what is macro, what is MIPS, what is CPC Mm -hmm. plus, but just one interesting point that someone recently made, she basically was saying that if you want to figure out the level of someone's, you know, let's just say quality indicator or quality measure readiness, what you merely have to look at as a proxy is the level of their HIT usage and integration, that those two things were inherently Mm -hmm. combined, which seems to be exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there's a definite correlation between clinical alignment, coordinated care, and integration with technology that can really improve the care that people are giving as well as measure that and report those outcomes as well. And that now is tied to financial incentives, which should be a a motivator for everybody. What is MACRA? MACRA basically is a, a bipartisan law. It was signed into effect last year. 2015, and it it repeals what we used to know as the sustainable growth rate formula. So it really changes the way that Medicare rewards providers for value over volume. And it it takes three programs that were uh, meaningful use, PQRS, value-based modifier that were separate, and now streamlines them into one program, which will be MIPS. And there's a a alternative model that's called alternative payment models that will actually provide additional payments. However, there is a level of downside risk with that. So I think I read that only 10% or so of providers across the country are expected to qualify for the alternative payment model versus the the MIP side. Well, wait, so I'm I'm getting a little lost in the sauce. Sure. (laughs) So MACRA is part of MIPS? MIPS is part of MACRA. Basically, under MACRA, there are two parts, MIPS and then alternative payment model. Okay. MACRA has two components. One of them is MIPS. One of them is alternative payment model. And I think I remember reading something that said that it depends on what kind of provider you are, whether you should pursue a MIPS roadmap or a alternative payment model. It's like the smaller providers are the alternatives or am I getting that mixed up? The alternatives are going to be the providers that have already been taking some form of risk or are basically a a qualified provider that have a significant amount of Medicare patients. So these are going to kind of be your more advanced payment models. Maybe people that have been in um, MSSP, ACO, track twos, and now they're able to participate in, in this model because there's a significant bonus payment for participating there, but there's also a downside to it. So if you are on the bottom end of the spectrum, you can expect to be penalized. 
Okay, so MIPS is for rookies. And I'll turn it. <laughs> there I'll turn, you go. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that. Yeah. Getting the, Unless you're a, uh, if you're a, a true rookie and you're in your first year of seeing Medicare patients or you have 100, I think, or less Medicare patients, then you're exempt from MIPS. So you're exempt from all of it. Okay. For, for now. So let's add another layer of complication yeah. here just because let's have some fun. Um, <laughs> how does CPC Plus fit into that? CPC Plus basically is an additional program being offered by Medicare, and they just released, it's only in 10 states, which was a little surprising, and there's about 57 payers, including Medicare, that are offering care management and incentive money for providers, and this is actually an upfront payment for providers to manage their population, report outcomes, and participate with whatever sort of outcomes that they've said are the threshold. So they're going to set forth a certain amount of measures and say, this is where we need you to hit for these certain categories. So it's basically a pay for performance program. However, they're getting rewarded upfront to purchase technology and hire nurses to actually do the work for them. Would you be in MACRA as well as CPC Plus? Yes. Absolutely. So this is just another way to earn some extra. Okay. That's right. Huh. And are people looking at making sure that the numerators and the denominators of attestation are the same between CPC Plus and MACRA? Or are we just creating the same mess that we created (laughs) before? I think that the right people will look at it and, and be able to take advantage of it. There will be people that probably look at CPC Plus and, and just ignore it because they know they're not there yet. So many of these practices out in the world are, are still just dipping their toe in the water of, of value-based care. And this is a care delivery change, not just, okay, now I have to record outcomes and report them, which is kind of what PQRS was. You know, Now they're actually looking at what those outcomes are, and they're going to reimburse me based on that. So we need to figure out in, in our practice how that's going to be best done so that we don't become penalized. So yeah, you definitely don't want to take on more than you can handle, especially if MACRA is new. You are maybe not a patient-centered medical home. You've never had any kind of value-based contracts. So this is already a whole new world. So to jump into the deep end of CPC+, Plus, that would probably be way more than, than anyone could handle. Interesting. So we've got Rookies Go MIPS. If you're a little bit more advanced, you go the alternative payment model route. And if you're feeling Mm -hmm. really confident about the alternative payment, (laughs) then you layer on top of it CPC Plus. That's your like, yeah, that's for bonus. be your all stars, right? Got it. And, you know, just from from a how much of revenue is coming from these various sources, and I know this obviously is, is. probably a not a fair question, but that hasn't mm-hmm. stopped me before. If I'm your average, let's just say alternative payment model route organization, how much of my revenue is FFS, you know, re- remaining FFS? How much of it is coming from or anticipated to be coming from macro or the like? Mm-hmm. And then how much of it is overlaid with the CPC plus or other incentive programs? Yeah. What's the pie chart look like? Right now, I would say it's about 50%. As we go into 2017, 50% macro or 50% FFS? I would say it's 50% value-based and then 50% fee-for-service. 
With MACRA, it shifts to about 85% of payments are going to be tied to quality and value. So you're still fee-for-service as a whole, but there's quality and there's value tied to everything you're doing. So you're being rewarded in a value-based care world, even though you're getting paid still by transactions. So I think that's where we are next year in 2017. And and I think that's going to evolve again to where there probably won't be a fee-for-service, or maybe there will be a very small amount of fee-for-service. And the majority of payments will be strictly based on patient outcomes and then quality and how you're managing costs within your organization. Interesting. And I do just want to redeem myself for one moment. I am aware of the fact that if you say one thing is 50%, probably the other thing is 50% (laughs) as well. I just want to make that clear after a moment of reflection. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what the more forward thinking organizations are doing here. Say that I'm an organization and I want to make the most of this directional trend. What's your advice on what do I need to do first or second, or what do I have to really nail in order to make sure that this goes forward well? I think the blocking and tackling 101 part of things are looking at individual programs and and CMS can go to their website and they have a really good like infographic breakdown of all the programs that are offered. And there's a ton of information available to basically understand what your Medicare population is, what types of chronic diseases you're managing. And from that, look at the programs available and say, hey, you know, this is something that is offering a significant amount of reimbursement for doing some additional work. And do I have the tools in-house to do this? Or are there partners out there that I can have help me with this? And that will help the providers and the administration prepared. It's almost like a a kind of a Petri dish or training program for what's coming. So I think that's kind of the the baby steps of start with that. Start with what specifically? Chronic care management is a good one. There's also, you know, depending on who the organization is, there's managing care transitions, you know, from a hospital to the primary care setting or to a nursing home or either that patient's home. And there are certain things that you have to do in a certain amount of time that are required of you. And if you do those, you're, you're paid a significant amount more money than your standard E&M visit. Kind of what you're basically saying here is that you got to take the macro and split it down into the micro. In other words, it's not just, I'm shooting for excellent alternative <laughs> payment model reimbursement. What mm-hmm. you have to do is figure out what are the greatest things which are contributing to the measures that they're measuring. And then focus on those things, like in other words, chronic care management or transitions of care. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And it it all ties together. It's all part of the macro equation. All of the things that you can do becoming a patient-centered medical home and getting NCQA recognition. All of this is now going into a giant pool of points, which will give you credit on your score. And that's going to put you in a higher percentile and then increase your, your Medicare payments. What's the best strategy there? Do you feel like the best strategy is to go broad and thin? In other words, if you see that there's eight categories of things, you kind of invest a little bit of effort in making sure that every single one of them is at least sort of good? Or is it your advice to go deep, you know, like pick one and really blow it out? I would probably go more broad 
And I would definitely look at what outcomes the practice is measuring now and what outcomes you guys have or, or the practice has the ability to improve upon. If it's a hospital, you know, what kind of star ratings are you talking about? What's their readmission rate like? Those are the things that I think they need to, to look at that are heavily weighted by CMS right now and say, okay, you know, where can we really move that dial and make an improvement that's going to significantly change our reimbursement? And then make sure that you understand how those measures will affect you under MIPS and macro or APM so that in 2017, when this data is being recorded, you know, two years from then, you're, you're basically going to get reimbursed based on that information. So we're now four months away from that. So that's what I would probably prioritize because that's going to be the, the heaviest amount of reimbursement is coming from the, the actual macro program. So I would put that one and then two, I would probably pay attention to all these other programs, you know, like CCM, TCM, doing things like annual wellness visits to make sure that, you know, your providers are, are changing the care delivery that's going to be required of them of the next year and year to come. CCM, chronic that, care management, TCM, that's telemedicine. Mm, yeah. Transitional care management. Transitional care management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is, uh, that's managing patients coming from a hospital to a primary care office. You have to follow up with the patient about 48 hours after they're discharged. And then you have to try and set up an appointment within uh, 14 days, or depending on how complex that, that patient is, it could be seven days. So when you have that appointment, you're actually rewarded. You get to bill for the E&M visit, but you also get to bill for an additional TCM code, which pays about 250 extra dollars. Right. And then, of course, we have chronic care management, which you also mentioned. Correct. Which is another whole separate thing. Actually, the only service you can outsource. So this is the first time, I think, in history that a physician can outsource care and then get paid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. A lot of these physicians, I think, when patient center medical home first came around or really became prevalent, you know, about probably 10 years ago, you know, a lot of people said, I I don't have the staff to do this. We don't have extra time. And that's kind of what they've been saying with chronic care management. So it's nice to have the ability, you know, you can do it just on a short term basis, at least get the infrastructure going, get some of those reimbursements coming in, get your patients enrolled in the program, then you can do it all in house yourself. So you don't have to get married with another company or third party, just basically have somebody that you respect and trust and can do a good job and be an extension of your practice. I interviewed Jamie Grant from CareSync, actually, mm-hmm. which is a company that provides CCM services. And I think McKesson does as well. Yep, yeah? sure do. Indeed. This is always a, a question that I struggle with. You often run across situations where one hospital is super worried about one particular thing. And then you run across another hospital where you bring up that same thing and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any insight into why you get those differences? I mean, is it geography? Is it patient population? Is it that some of these hospitals are in Maryland and there's geographic reimbursement, geographic emphasis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's all of the above, depending on the payers in your state. There are some states that are a lot more progressive than others, and there are some payers that are the big gorilla 
in the state. If you look at Georgia, for example, Blue Cross Blue Shield is the monster. I know in a lot of states they are, but you might go into another state that's way more Medicare, Medicaid, or, you know, maybe Cigna or Aetna have a significant amount of population. You just said that there's this gorilla Mm -hmm. in the Blue Cross Blue Shield. Like, So what's going to happen in the geographies where they are the dominant payer? How's that going to skew? Blue Cross Blue Shield is going to be able to control essentially what they want to pay people on and to incentivize them to do. They're going to put forth these programs. You know, if they feel like ACO is, is important or Medicare Advantage or patient-centered medical home, they're going to basically put forward more opportunities for providers to participate in that and get paid additional reimbursements. So that also might affect what quality metrics they're going to record and they're going to look at according to what that payer deems is value to them and probably what's costing them the most money. Let me just ask you another thing, which has been confounding mm-hmm. me lately, and just get your your take on it. So one of the, I don't know if it was intended or unintended, depending on who you talk to, consequences of these large mergers of health systems is that it what it enables a health system to do is to have a lot more leverage in negotiating with payers. So mm-hmm. in other words, you know, you get a health system, which is the dominant player in a certain geography, a payer really has to have that health system within their network. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have a whole geography and a whole county worth of patients who simply have no place to go to get care. So the payer tries to negotiate with that gigantic health system and the health system is basically like, well, you know, take it or leave it. Kick me out of your network. And the payer has no <laughs> choice. Right. How do you see that playing out these days? Well, you're seeing a lot of self-insured health systems and, and even employers that have their own health plan. And so I think this is where the big biggest shift is going to eventually come, and that's the traditional lines of payer-provider are becoming more gray and blended to where payers are becoming providers and providers are becoming payers. You're seeing payers even open up clinics as well as providing your management services that a traditional office would do. So it's the collaboration is great if they're able to collaborate, and hopefully that's what will happen but you you are seeing the emergence of things like an EACO, where it's an employer ACO and it's all self-insured, or health systems offering their own health plan so that they can actually manage the money, the cost, the utilization that those employees of theirs are, are using. And do you see that happening because the health systems are now large enough to realize that they can get into the vertical and and be more profitable or more in control of their own destiny if they start assuming those vertical become their own payer or assume Mm -hmm. other maybe specialties or, or whatnot, that it's starting to behoove these health systems to go deep and high. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're figuring it out as well, probably over the years that you know, hey, there's a lot more money to be made or saved in this type of world versus a a fee-for-service situation, you know, that should benefit everybody. So if if they look at who's really saved money or who's been the financial winner from a provider practicing good quality, low-cost, low-utilization medicine, it's been the health plan. So I think they say, why should the payer get all the reward for my work. And, you know, so they're kind of flipping it 
on its head and saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to roar myself for what I've been doing. And that's, I think, where the emergence of a lot of this has come. On the flip side, though, you know, I, I read Stephen Brill's book, A Bitter Pill, which was eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that he talks about at some point in that book is that payers are actually getting squeezed right now. They're sitting in this awkward spot where they're getting pushed from both ends. On one side, you've got regulations coming down the pike saying, you know, this is the max, this is the cap, we're going to reimburse for this or that. So there's these cost pressures that are coming from the top for payers. And then underneath, you've got hospitals, these gigantic hospitals, which are saying, well, this is how much I'm charging for this procedure or mm-hmm. and that's just it. Right. And then, you know, what's the payer supposed to do? Do you see that in practice? Yeah. And I think you're seeing, <laughs> I guess, a lot more high deductible plans. So I unfortunately, I think the patient probably is, I don't want to say the loser in that game, but they probably take the burden of that because there's a lot more self-pay now. It's funny because Patty Peoples, who is the president of health economics on online, mm-hmm. she likened it to, she's the metaphor I love, squeezing the balloon. So mm-hmm. you can't take cost out of one side of the system and not expect it to show up someplace else. So it sounds like the balloon exactly. the balloon's getting squeezed and it's the patient that's <laughs> totally interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good analogy. I think that's a good visual too to somebody should create that if it hasn't been created. Cause yeah, it's um you know, these high deductibles now that didn't used to be there when things were covered. And so, you know, you're looking also at the creation of bundled payments, which I think has helped that payers have kind of said, okay, well, you know, we'll let you manage, you can do whatever you want, but it's got to stay under this, this threshold because that's all we're paying you for this case. And if it goes above and beyond, then, then that's on you, you know, or, or that's going to fall to the patient responsibility that then the provider has to collect. So unfortunately, that's kind of what happens. And I hope that the models that emerge from all this will maybe change that and and there won't be so much burden on the patients financially, and it'll be more spread evenly. What would be maybe your biggest piece of advice for a provider organization that is traversing these new waters? I mean, is there some universal truth or advice that you might have? Yeah, I, I I heard a quote, actually, a, a doctor, uh, chief medical officer, I'm going to go ahead and quote him. His, his name's Mark Albini at uh, St. Mary's Hospital in Connecticut, told me this. He said, if you, if you chase quality, the dollars will follow. And it's very simple, but I thought it was a great line because it's true. I think if, you, if you're doing the right thing, the, the dollars are there now and they're going to follow. So it's going to come, you know, so I don't, I don't, I think people should get so bogged down with trying to participate in in 50 different programs and you know oncology and diabetes prevention program but just make sure the bottom line is that you're you're actually pursuing that quality and providing that value to the patients and you're trying to change those outcomes and the dollars are going to be behind it and you'll you'll be rewarded for it. So an independent practice should be able to stay independent and the health system that owns practices should be able to thrive with those providers they own. As a consultant with McKesson, what are your primary, I mean, obviously dealing with payment models is something that you specialize in. Mm-hmm. What are your main subject matter expertises? The biggest one is probably the payer provider collaboration. And that's always evolving just based on what 
CMS is doing and what other private carriers are doing. But really, we're trying to change and influence a little bit the way that providers and payers work together. And, and McKesson, who has relationships on both ends, tries to use those relationships to that advantage and, and say, hey, you know, maybe we can bring this hospital to the table or this group of doctors to the table and then talk to the payer and say, you know, what can we do together to really make an impact financially as well as with patient outcomes. And that's where I think McKesson looks to provide those services. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.